want to invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and turn it to chapter 6. Chapter 6. And today we're starting um, looking at this all-important topic of spiritual warfare. Um, and this, according to my knowledge, is the most comprehensive section on spiritual warfare we will find in the Bible. So if you just study this text, understand this text, and apply this text, you will be okay in spiritual warfare. That's, that's my, um, I'll, I'll put my, my stake on that, okay? Um, and so let's read the text together, and then we'll dive in. So let's read from verse 10 up until verse 18. So Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we are approaching a section in which there are much confusion and we need much clarity on this, Father. And I pray that you would be merciful to me, Lord, especially as the teacher and the preacher, Lord, that I would cut your word straight, not to go beyond your word and not to say uh, less than what your word intends for us to know and to believe and that you would truly equip us Lord to stand firm against the devil against his lies help us Lord we need your grace we pray this in Jesus name amen okay imagine with me how you think a country would do in a war that they don't even know they are in would that country win the war would that country effectively resist the strategies of the enemy or to change the image a little bit imagine going into a boxing ring with a very skilled boxer say Floyd Mayweather and you fight against him blindfolded and just from time to time you just swing randomly into the air hoping you hit something Beloved, that's how many Christians go through their lives when it comes to spiritual warfare. That's how many of, perhaps, you approach this topic of spiritual warfare, right? It's something out there. It's not something that's going to touch my Monday to my Friday. We're, we're like functional deists when it comes to spiritual warfare, right? Yes, the devil exists. Yes, it's real, but it doesn't affect me. But this text, beloved, is meant to give you a wake-up call. It's, it's the Christian's call to war. It's meant to help you realize that we are in a war, that we, we can't take spiritual warfare lightly. 
And you see another imagery in verse 12. Look at the imagery that the Apostle Paul gives us when it says, he says, for we do not what? Wrestle. Think of the word wrestling. Think of two people wrestling, right? Wrestling is something you do up close. It's a face-to-face. It's an intense back-and-forth thing. It's not something done in the, on the distance. It's, a, it's an intense battle. So on the one hand, God wants to help you think clearly about this, but he also wants to encourage you with his word. If you've followed Ephesians up until now, you will know that the battle is already won. Christ is in the heavenly places. He's at the right hand of the Father. So he's not just in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 says he's far above all the authorities and the rulers. He's above them. He's not equal to the devil. He's above them. It's not a contest for him, right? And we, if we are strong in the Lord, if we fight with the armor of God, the battle, the victory is guaranteed. It's not going. So for us, we simply have to be obedient. That's it. Trust God, be obedient, and we win. But you still need to fight. So the victory isn't automatic. It's you have to do something. The text doesn't say rest in God that he would do the victory for you. The verse says take you, take up the armor of God and you wrestle against the authorities and, 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 and the rulers. It's a command. Commands are to be obeyed. So think with me, if I were to tell you what atmosphere would the following words convey for you, if I would say the following to you, take up your armor, soldier, take every piece of it, take your sword, take your helmet, fasten your belt, put on your boots and let's go. What atmosphere is that? Something laid back, you can do on casually, you can think about it as an afterthought. Is that the atmosphere of that language? No, it's war. We're in a war. We have an enemy. We're in enemy territory, as it were. Until Christ comes back, we have to fight. So that's why the title of the sermon is The Christian's Call to War. um, This text wants to call you out of your slumber, call you out of your, your thinking that the devil is uninvolved, uninterested in your life. No, he's involved and he's interested on a daily basis. So be aware of that. That's really the first thing we need to get to. Now, if you look at the first word in verse 10, it says, finally, this is Paul's final word of exhortation. This is the last thing he tells us in the book of Ephesians. And you can summarize the whole book of Ephesians with three words. The first word is sit, right? Chapters 1 to 3, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are just receiving the the blessings of God. Chapters 4 to 6, you will know the keyword is walk. Walk worthy, walk by the Spirit, walk in love, walk in wisdom. Okay, And now the keyword is stand. Stand. And you can't miss it. That's the ultimate goal in spiritual warfare. What do we want to accomplish at the end? Look at verse 11 again. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. And then, just, because, just if, if we've missed it, verse 14, stand. So what does victory look like in spiritual warfare? That after the arrows have come, after the evil day, to stand. To stand is victory. 
to stand firm. And maybe the best picture of that is Job. After the waves of temptation and of suffering and all these things that the devil tried to throw at him to say the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's standing. I'm standing firm in my faith. I'm not going to let the flaming darts quench my faith, quench my love for the Lord. I'm going to stand firm. That's the main point of this whole text. Take up the armor that you may be able to stand. So this afternoon, it's more going to be like an introduction to our text. And we're going to take this slow because we need to wrap our minds around spiritual warfare in general, but also what the armor of God means and how to apply that to your life practically. So today it's going to be more of a, maybe a bit of an overview of spiritual warfare. And then next week or the weeks to come, we will go into more detail. So here we're going to look at four things you need to know about this war. Four things you need to know. Know your battle, know your enemy, know yourself, and know the Lord. Those four things as an introduction. So the first thing you need to know is, Know the battle. Know the battle. The reason I, I start with this point is, I wonder, you don't have to put up your hand, but I wondered if I were to ask you to put up your hand if you've ever experienced spiritual warfare. Now, don't do that. I just want to test yourself. Would you put up your hand? Have I ever experienced spiritual warfare? I wonder how many hands would come up. And my suspicion is that some of us would not put our hands up for the, only, for the following reason. That when we think of spiritual warfare, what comes to your mind? Right? Maybe someone sweating with a wooden cross over someone, screaming and yelling, um, sprinkling holy water over someone's body. Right? It's like, okay, I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. So maybe I've never been part of spiritual warfare before. Right? I've never encountered a demon face to face, as it were. Right? So maybe I'm, I'm just one of those lucky Christians that will never get that. I'm just going to cruise on in my life. But that's missing what the battle is mainly about. The devil loves to fight incognito. He loves to fight under the radar. He doesn't want to come as the roaring lion. He wants to come as the serpent. The serpent that sounds so good, sounds so believable. Like Paul says in Second Corinthians, it comes to us not as the devil, but as an angel of the light. Your friend, someone that has your best interest on his heart. Smooth words. Right? So that is the battle. So I, I think that it would have, it's helpful to think of spiritual warfare in two major categories. And just to help us think through that, the first one is the majority of our spiritual warfare. The, what's going to be the common way we fight? So two broad categories of spiritual warfare. The first one, the common, the majority, the one that you are going to fight, fight as you leave this building, the one you're going to fight as you go to bed tonight, the one you're going to fight tomorrow morning. That's the war I'm talking about here, the majority. And you see what is the majority of our spiritual warfare by taking every piece of the armor of God and looking at its opposites. Then you know what the devil wants with you, what the devil is trying to do, right? So we take the belt of truth. Why? Because the devil fights with lies. So it's not, not that difficult, right? And we see it from beginning to end. Did God really say? 
The first, like if you study Genesis 3, you see the essence of spiritual warfare. Casting doubts in your mind that God is good, that God loves you, that his word is true, that you are not saved. Those are the kinds of battles you're going to fight. We take the breastplate of righteousness because the devil wants you to live in unrighteousness. He wants a foothold in your life, right? He wants you to be angry and to sin and so to give an opportunity to the devil. We're going to read that a little bit later as well. Right? We take up the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace because the devil doesn't want peace in your life. He wants divorce. He wants churches to split. He doesn't want you to go and tell other people about the gospel. Like if there's a kingdom out there and you go into enemy, enemy, enemy territory, sorry, do you think they're just going to welcome you in? Please come take over my kingdom. Right? Let me help you. No, expect resistance. So in two weeks, Lord willing, we're going to go out and evangelize. We're going to go out into the streets and go out and share the gospel. Expect resistance. Expect you not to want to go, not to want to be part of that. Now, if you don't go out, please pray for us. Okay? So at least pray for us. If you stay at home, pray. Right? We take the shield of faith because the devil wants us to doubt, fill our minds with unbelief. Right? Wondering, is God really good? Is God really for you? Look at how you've sinned. How can God love you? How can, how can you be a Christian if you've just sinned like that? How dare you go to Jesus? Don't go to Jesus. We take the helmet of salvation because the devil wants us to forget about that future hope of our salvation when Jesus is going to come back. He wants us to be living in the here and the now. We take the sword of the Spirit and prayer because the devil doesn't want you to be in the word. He doesn't want you to be on your knees. Right? How many of you felt this? Right? The moment you start try to pray, your mind is suddenly flooded with million thoughts. Million random things. You're like, where does all these things come from? Spiritual warfare. Devil doesn't want you to do those things. But beloved, let me say this. That the reason I'm telling you this is. All of you have experienced spiritual warfare. Every single one of you. You might, not, you might just have not known it. Because you thought it's just your own mind or your own sin. Or... Now, think of how clever this can be. The devil causes you to doubt about God, about his word, and then he accuses you of doubting. How dare you doubt? I mean, he, he just planted the doubt in you. And then he says, how dare you? Remember, the devil doesn't have rules. That's our God, by the way. So he, the devil is nothing. We're getting to that as well. But there are no war crimes of the devil. There's no, he doesn't play according to rules. But the th my point I want to make is, this is going to be the majority of your battle until the day you die. Lies, temptation to sin, doubt. When you evangelize people, the devil is going to tell them that, this Christian doesn't want, just wants your money or doesn't want the best for you. This is spiritual warfare. This is the majority. And just be aware of that. That, that can already be so encouraging, right? That is not just your own mind, not just your own sin. That we have a mortal enemy. Now, to be clear, the, the devil cannot cause you to do anything. So although the devil wants an opportunity in your life through unrighteousness and sin, he cannot cause you to sin. He cannot cause you to do anything. So there's a modern concept of the demon of the people calling some people sins demons, right? 
casting out the demon of lust, casting out the demon of anger. And that's just not biblical, right? The lust is your own, the anger is your own, but the devil is blowing those flames. The devil is loving your anger, loving your lust. He loves it. But the lust is your own, the sin is your own. He's pushing you into those sins and into those extremes. We know this is going to be a daily battle, even just because of the Lord's Prayer, right? We pray, Lord, give me my daily bread, and later we pray, deliver us from the evil one. What's the idea? It's going to be a daily battle. This is going to be a daily fight for us. That's the majority of spiritual warfare. But there is a second category, and that is the minority, or the rare, or the, you could say, the special We cannot ignore the Bible's teaching that some people are demonically possessed. Two famous examples, right, is the man who had the legion, thousands of demons, supernatural strength. Nobody could bind him with with chains. And I've heard testimonies of certain people around the world where people, it's like a lady or a little girl that can throw grown men across the room. Supernatural strength. It fits the picture of the Bible. These are real situations, right? The devil is real. Demon possession is real, right? We think of the boy who had the demon, and Jesus said to the disciples, this kind cannot come out except by fasting and prayer. So even saying there might be even stronger demons and weaker demons, this kind, this is a special kind, right? So now I say minority because I don't think you are going to experience that as you leave the church, right? Um, please, if you have an experience like that, please share that with me. I'd love to hear that. But that's what I, my point is. This is real, but it's the minority. Maybe in like countries or in pagan, cult, pagan cultures where pagan worship is, is rife, maybe these things will be more common because there's no competition. I actually think if the devil would do more of these things, more people would come to Christ. More people would like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for safety. So I think he knows, no, I'm going to play low. I'm going to try to deceive instead of, Devil in your face, okay, the spiritual world is real. I need a savior. I need protection, right? But even for the minority cases of real demonic possession, you still need the armor of God. You still need truth. Don't fear that demon. That demon can do nothing to you unless God permits. That's truth, right? The breastplate of righteousness. Don't give way to your fear. The shoes of the gospel. Of all the cases where I read people casting out demons, it was by sharing the gospel with them, by praying for them, by singing over that person until that person trusted in Christ and Jesus freed that person from, from, from demonic possession. The power isn't in us. The authority doesn't lie in us. It lies in God. It lies in his gospel. The gospel frees people from the bondage of Satan. And we rely on that and the armor of God. But beloved, this is real. This is the reality of our battle. Day in, day out, the devil's lies, devil's deception, devil's distractions. And you are to stand firm against him. Second point is know your enemy. So know the battle, know what the battle is, but also know your enemy. Now, when we're studying the devil, we have two errors to avoid. We don't want to give the devil more credit than he deserves. And we also don't want to underestimate him and think he's not really dangerous, like he's nothing. We, we can just play with him. He's not really a threat. 
So we want to know what these schemes are, but we also don't want to be scared of him. So we, we want to think clearly about him, but we don't want to be fearful of him. Now, here's the way I, I thought about it that I think my summarize it perfectly. We want to respect the devil, not in the sense of giving him honor, but in the sense of not treating him lightly. We want to respect him, but not fear him. That, for me, is the biblical way to think about it. Respect him. He's dangerous. He's smarter than you. He's bigger than you. He's everything better than you. But don't fear him because of the armor of God, because the one who is in you is greater. So we come to that, acknowledging that. Think of the word Satan. What does the word Satan mean? Adversary, right? So the main thing about our enemy is going, he's going to be against you. And we see that repetition in verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. Paul didn't have to use this word over and over again, but he chooses that. Look at verse 12. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against. Do you see the emphasis? There's someone against you. There's someone walking around like a, a roaring lion seeking to devour. Now, I want you to think of that imagery for a moment. Think of a roaring lion. Imagine there was an announcement of the church. By the way, um, please stay calm. There's a roaring lion outside at the parking area seeking whom he, whom he may devour. But you can, you can just go and play with it. You know? Don't really worry about it. You're, you're free to go. All of us are going to stick together. Right? Like, okay, no. But that's the point, right? My point I want to make is this is the imagery Scripture gives us to say, listen, he's, don't take him lightly. Don't ignore him. Don't think you just coast. It's going to be an easy battle. Don't think like that. It's interesting. We don't just wrestle against one being. What does verse 12 say? We wrestle against rulers, plural. Authorities, plural. Cosmic powers, plural. We're fighting against an army, a well-organized army headed by Satan. Remember, Satan isn't, isn't omniscient, isn't omnipresent. Satan is an angel. He's a very powerful angel, but he's a creature. So the devil isn't everywhere at the same place. The devil can't. I don't think the devil can read your thoughts, for example. He's an angel. He has limits. He's a great observer. He, he's very crafty. But he's not God. To put it another way, if the devil is in America, he's not in Porch. Okay? Just to make it clear. <laughs> he's at one place at a time. Okay? But he, there's a hierarchical structure within the demonic force, right? There's an army. There are rulers. There's authorities. His power is tr he has tremendous influence over the world. Look at 1 John 5, 19. This is actually one of those scary verses we just have to come to grips with. It says, We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, I think that means he has influence throughout his demonic army over every sphere of our world. Think of things like the media, movies, music, culture, academics, politics. At times, whole suburbs, cities, countries. And as the church starts infiltrating, as the church starts being planted and the gospel starts being reached, it, the, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. But it's not going to go down with a fight. He's not going to say, please, come, take my country. So that's the first thing. Realize his influence. But at the same time, remember 1 John 4 verse 4. It's the same book, 
1 John 4 verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, and here's the word, is greater. That, don't forget that word. Greater than he who is in the world. Respect him. Don't fear him. Don't take him lightly. Don't run away from him. Resist him. Firm in your faith and he will flee from you. That's a promise. God is on our side. That's encouraging, right? Not the devil, not an angel, not anything will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. That's the promise. So here's the balance. Don't overthink 1 John 5, 19 to the exclusion of 1 John 4, 4. And don't think on 1 John 4, 4 and be so overconfident to the neglect of 1 John 5, 19 and realize, listen, we need help, okay? So that's the second point is know your enemy. But thirdly, know yourself. Know yourself. So it flows now into that. It's simply this. What do you need to know about yourself when it comes to this war? And let me encourage you. You are weak. Okay, I hope you're encouraged by that. Verse 10 implies that. Why? Because what does it say? Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So the idea here is quite simple, right? If you are to be strong in the Lord, you are weak without the Lord. You can't do this in your own strength. Right? It's one thing to fight against someone that's like you. Right? Relatively the same strength as you, relatively the same wisdom, relatively the same age or whatever. But it's quite another thing to fight or wrestle against someone that's a million times stronger than you. Wrestle against someone that's a million times smarter than you, that knows, that has his PhD in philosophy, his PhD in theology, right? Psychology. And he knows those things so well. And to wrestle against him. Therefore, he's a master manipulator. He knows how to manipulate. He can use scripture to dance around us if he wants to. He knows the Bible well. So on our own, we can't do this, right? That's why we need the full armor of God. Otherwise, we're toast. I think it was in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian was standing face to face to Apollyon. And he wanted to flee out of fear, but then he remembered the armor didn't cover his back. So his back was exposed, right? And said, okay, I have to just stand here. And that's really the picture here, right? Is, okay, we just have to make our stand trusting in the Lord's strength. But we shouldn't be like the 10 spies who gave a bad report. Remember the story of the 12 spies going into the, into the promised land? And the 10 brought this bad report. They were saying there are giants in the country. Now they were, they were speaking the truth. These people are bigger than us. These people are stronger than us. We can't do this. Listen to Numbers um, 13 verse 30 to 31. It says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against people, for they are stronger than we are. They were actually right. That last line was correct. They are stronger than us. But what was false here? What did they not do? They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God, His promises. They refused to believe that their God can bring them out of slavery in Egypt through 10 plagues, 
part the Red Sea, feed them in the, ma- in the wilderness from a rock and with bread from heaven. And suddenly God's going to leave them and abandon them. That's weakness. Lord, how this would look like for you is, Lord, I'm so useless. How can I stand? How can I fight? I can't do this. I'm weak. You're right. You are weak. But the fight isn't by your strength. So don't be overconfident. He who thinks that he stands must be where lest he fall. And don't be so inward focused on your weakness that you despair and think, I can't do this. I can't fight. Which leads us to the last point is know the Lord. Know the Lord. That's what the text says so clearly. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Our strength lies outside of us. It's in the Lord. Our battle plan is not to focus on our weakness. It's not to focus on the devil even, but to focus on the Lord, to put our eyes upon him, to love him and to obey him. If you look at the armor, it, it all has a positive focus of what, you, what type of a life you need to live. Take the belt of truth. Think truth. Study the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Take the breastplate of righteousness. Live holy. Live righteously as you are covered with the righteousness of Christ. Take the gospel. Take salvation. Take the word of God. Take prayer. And just build a life that looks like that. And you'll be able to stand against the devil. In short, stay close to him. He is the greater one in us, right? He is the one that's able to cast out a legion with the word. Look at the faith of Joshua and Caleb, how they, the faithful spies, that's how we should look like in our struggle. Look at Numbers 14 verse 6. It says, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This is what all spies were to say, right? All of them had to say this. Don't fear them. We can fight them. The Lord is with us, both small and big. The Lord can win. He's almighty. Remember, that's one of the reasons why Jesus came. 1 John 3, 18. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Who is your Christ? Who is your Savior? Who is he? What has he done? He has already conquered. He has already won. Remember, he's seated far above every ruler and authority in the heavenly places. And where are you? Seated with him. In the heavenly places, Ephesians 2 verse 6. You are there. You're with him. You are safe. Remember Colossians 2.15. I love this verse. It's such a beautiful verse. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's where you are. He disarmed these rulers. And now this is how God gets glory. Right? Think about it. He takes this, dra- he, our enemy is this dragon that can cast out, uh, swipe away a third of the, the stars of his tail. He is this, he is this amazing, this powerful angel. 
stronger than any one of us put together. And then he is defeated by weak people like us. Your God will soon crush Satan under your feet. God gets a pleasure out of that, using people like you and me, ordinary people, not special people, not smart people, not just ordinary people standing in the Gospels, clothed of the righteousness of Christ, obeying Him, believing truth, praying, evangelizing, trusting God, singing for people, and seeing how the devil flees with his tail behind his legs, under his... Okay, I've messed that up. Who gets the glory for that? Who is shown as beautiful and worthy when weak people like us defeat the devil himself and his angels? Right? God does. God gets the glory for that. 1 John 4, 4. Just have to, we have to end on this one. Okay? We're not going to end with the enemy or anything on him. We're going to end on Christ. It says, He who is in you is greater. Christ is greater. Not equal, stronger. It's like, I don't know if any of you know, remember Joe Malomo of the All Blacks. I hope you do. I might have given away my generation and my age. I I already feel I'm there, okay? It's like that strategy of the rugby team. Okay, when we get the ball, just pass it to that guy and he he scores a try, right? When I see Joe Malomo, you see like him running with four people dangling at his legs and just keeps running and pushes the ball down into the earth and they have to find a new ball because the ball is gone, right? And that's kind of the idea here is like, We just pass the ball to Christ. We just trust in Christ. He's our champion. He's our David that kills the the Goliath, right? He is the one. He's the greater one that's living in you, in us. And we just stand. We just trust in him. We stand firm. He's our Moses that is constantly praying that no matter what the devil, if he wants to sift you like wheat, he says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. It won't fail because Christ is our intercessor. Christ is for us. And here's the last truth I want you to, to leave you with. is Colossians 1.16. It says, By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So look, Paul could have said, like, God, Jesus created everything, and what would, it, what would we have written? Trees, elephants, the stars, the moon. That's not what it says. What does Jesus create? Authorities, rulers, demonic forces, angels, originally good, fallen, but they are created for Christ. What's the idea, right? They are below him. They are are a creature. And... Till Jesus says it's done, the devil is free to roam. So the devil is only free to roam by divine permission. If Jesus says it's over, his life ends, his reign ends. Like he would kill the the Antichrist. You know how Jesus will kill the Antichrist? What does the word say? With the breath of his mouth. That's going to be like the fight with the devil as well. It's like done, ended. Again, the beautiful picture of this in action was how Jesus with the man with the legion. There was a man with thousands. Imagine one man versus thousands of demons on the other side. And they're just falling down, begging Jesus, please don't cast us out of the country. And Jesus said, you may. Go to the pigs, right? That's how he defeats them. And that's what I want to leave. That's your savior 
who's in you, who's greater. So stand. So Christian, wake up. This is your call to war. Christ is greater. He's in us. There are lies to fight. But remember, this is the majority of our fighting. The majority is going to be against this deception, against these lies, against the the temptation. Wear the armor of God. Stand firm in in your marriage. He hates your marriage. He hates churches. He hates unity. He hates friendships. He hates those things. Stand firm in the truth, in the gospel of peace. Know yourself. Know your weakness. Know you're not able to do this. Be sober-minded about yourself, but then know the Lord. Know him. Come to him. And maybe for those who are still in the grips of Satan, come to the man who has come to bind the strong man. Jesus can set you free from any and every demonic oppression, demonic temptation, whatever you have. He is greater, so come to him and he will set you free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. like to give a few moments of just silent prayer let's just um, respond to the Lord in prayer and and just spend some time with him let's use this time Father, when we hear the thunder above our heads, we realize that that is your creation, that is your voice, your glorious, almighty voice, full of power, full of authority, full of strength. Thank you, Lord, that the devil is only in existence by your permission, that we don't have to fear him, but that we do have to stand firm against him and wrestle with him. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would truly wear the armor of God and pursue truth, pursue righteousness, stand firm in the gospel of peace and remember the second coming of Christ and be hopeful and use the sword of the Spirit and prayer in all things, Lord, to stand firm. Oh Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for those who are visiting here with us as well, Lord, that you would equip us for this war, equip us, Lord, for this battle. May we not be outwitted by his schemes, but be able to identify them and be able to spot them early in our own lives and in the lives of others to be able to call out the work of the enemy and to share your glorious liberating gospel that can set people free lord please help us with this we we need help we are weak we are often blind to the to these realities i pray lord that you would please open our eyes to see these things for what they are and to stand firm on your word. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.